Welcome to the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast, where excuses aren't tolerated and results are earned through authenticity, vulnerability, and a commitment to excellence. My name is Amber Furman, success architect, attorney, and NLP trainer. If you're ready to bitch slap the bully in your brain, overcome the bullshit that holds you back, and design the life and success you've always wanted, then it's time for you to break your bullshit box and step into designing life and success on your terms. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I'm so excited to chat with you and dig into all of the amazing wisdom that you have to share with our audience today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. I'm really excited to have you here. So why don't we go ahead and start with just letting everybody get to know you a little bit. Where, where are you from? My entire life, I've been born and bred outside of Boston. Um, I went to school in Philadelphia for a few years, but otherwise I'm a lifer. Are you a Red Sox fan? I am. If yeah, if you're from Boston and you're grew you up, gotta here, be you gotta be right. Can't be anything else. Yeah, I am a diehard Red Sox fan, so I'm good with that. We can, we can definitely connect over that. I when I went to law school, there was a um, group of people from New York that sat behind me, and so just to irritate them, since they had to look at my computer screen all day, I changed my background in my computer, and on the left side. It had a Yankees logo on the right side. It had a Red Sox logo and it said Tide gets the shit right out of your shirt. Ah. It was fantastic. Ah. They didn't think so, but yeah, but that's know. what makes it fantastic. So you're born and raised in Boston. How what was the journey like for you? to where you are now because as they heard in the intro you have this love for data and analytics and how you can use that to transform people's businesses and be innovative and improve organizations and when you were 14 15 16 were you saying i want to work with numbers for the rest of my life or what did you want to do when you were younger. Yeah, kind of, but different. So, I mean, I've always been a technical guy. I mean, math and computer science undergraduate, my whole family are engineers. Um, and so I went to school for that. And I started doing that right out of college going in, I got a job where I could do some computer programming, a little bit of consulting, but I guess I've always liked the, the psychology aspect of things. And so I started learning more about the psychology. And I think for me, the light bulb moment is, is I have four kids and my oldest one has some mental health challenges. And I was always, I'm like, what are they thinking? Like, this just doesn't like in my computer binary, yes or no brain. I'm like, this is irrational. And I did some introspection. I, I did some research, took some courses. And I'm like, you know what? It's just a different perspective. And then my, I had the aha moment, like, that's the same thing happening in business is we're mm -hmm. looking at data, we're looking at information, we're not getting diverse perspectives. And so it kind of threw me in a little bit of a tangent where I still like data and analytics and software, but I now try to use it to help organizations, as you said, or just help people in life, as you said, I mean, you can use it as a life skill as well. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, what I'm hearing is that you're kind of that place where data and humans intersect instead of just looking at the data or looking at the human behavior. For now, yes. Ultimately, I'd like everyone to get to that point themselves because I think people hear the word data or data, however you say it, and they freak out and they put their heads down. They're like, nope, not me. I'm a I'm an arts person. 
And that's the problem because we all have it. We all need to get used to it. So I think your description is perfect for now, but the goal is that everyone can do that themselves. So what does it look like when you tell me more about how it is that you help people understand data and then um, bring that into the human element? I'm really intrigued by this. Yeah, I mean, I guess starting right data numbers, as I said, some people will look at it and they'll be like, okay, not for me, time out. I, I didn't, you know, take statistics. I didn't take math. For, for what we're talking about, the most you need to understand is like denominators. Like okay. second, third grade math. That's it. So that's the first. But what's interesting is it's not really a technical skill. It's a soft skill. So, you know, I'm dating myself. But when I was growing up, there was this uh, game show called Classic Concentration. And there was like a puzzle. And yeah. like if you answered questions, right, you would get a piece of the puzzle off. And everyone had their own perception of what the puzzle was. And sometimes they got it right. Sometimes they got it wrong. But the more you exposed. So with 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 data, people think it's black and white, like math, everyone says every math theorem is true, right? You can't, like, there's no gray area, but there is because we don't understand the context. So the, the human element of it is we need to understand, are we making assumptions with the data? Are we asking the right question of it? Are we thinking of unintended consequences? And all of those things to do that is active listening, understanding we have bias, mitigating biases, challenging our own assumptions, getting diverse perspectives, using our emotional intelligence. None of that is taught in a science or math class. It's all, you know, the, the soft skill side. So it, it's fascinating because we'll go in and to, to your answer your question, we'll educate people that making decisions with data is not about math. It's about understanding biases and how the brain can be deceived. It's about understanding how to challenge your own assumptions. How do you listen to other people? Um, and then you'll get a better picture of that puzzle, that classic concentration game. So for anybody who's listening, who's still um, working to understand what we're talking about, what do you mean by data? Yep. Perfect way to start. So it's not numbers. It's data is the lowest level. It's anything. Um, you want to figure out, you want to buy a new coffee pot for your house. I love coffee. Dunkin' Donuts again from Boston. I got to, um, what do you Are they from Boston? I didn't They're know that. From, I think it's Quincy. It's it's either it might be Northern Rhode Island, but it's right around this area. Yeah, you can. I didn't know that. Dunkin' Donuts. We have I think four in my town, and we have one stop sign. All, <laughs> um, but it, you you go on to Amazon, you look at reviews. Reviews are data. You want to figure out where you're going to go on family vacation. Maybe you want to do an Airbnb. What do you do? You look at reviews. So it's it's all of the information that we're exposed to, and also from a personal story, like think about COVID. We saw so much data on the news about COVID, stop the spread, squash the curve, flatten the curve, and they show charts and numbers and all these things. And we all got overwhelmed and we're like, I don't know what it means, but trending up looks scary. So I'm going to stay home. And it's anything that we're using to make decisions. It's not just numbers. It can be surveys. It can be focal groups. It can be interviews. It can be qualitative. It, it literally is just basically everything that we take into our brain is data. So when, who specifically are you working with when you're talking about this data? What type of individuals are you helping and how? Trying to help, so any individual, it could be any industry, we're trying to help you understand the process. So for the, the listener who are to like data, I'll, I'll give a personal story because it kind of helps. So um, in this case, I wasn't helping the org, but I was one of the stakeholders. So I mentioned 
my son has some some mental health challenges. He was in second or third grade. We got a call from the school and they said, you know, behaviors are escalating. We're going to expel and and move them to another school. And we have to have a team meeting. We go in the team meeting and they have data. What do they have is they have a chart they did in Excel probably that showed, you know, we're having an average of 12 behaviors per day and it's it's escalating. So you see like the string going up. They used all the right data and their decision at that time was we can't support your son. It's damaging the rest of the class. We're going to expel you. And that's logical. That's rational. That makes sense. You see that puzzle and class of concentration it all connects. What they didn't do is they didn't question it. And, and that's where it's important and why we need a process. So what I mean by that is I asked to get more data. I say, can you tell me the day of the week? Because maybe more behaviors on a Monday or Friday. Tell me the time of day, because maybe there's more behaviors after breaks or recess. What was happening before? What was the consequence? It's something called an ABC chart. And they showed us in the second meeting and I just turned to my wife and I had this big smile. I was like, this is not a joke, Kevin. What, why are you laughing? Like I figured it out. So what they were doing in their decision-making is they had all the data. And when you looked at it, the consequence for a majority of them was they sent them to the principal's office. Now in U.S., that's seen as a that's seen as like not a good thing. You don't want to go there. Um, they didn't challenge that assumption. They didn't understand my son loves adult stim stimulation. He likes it more than kids. So we asked, we're like, hey, how was he? Like, it was great. I punched the teacher. They sent me to the principal. She read for me for an hour. I'm gonna punch her again tomorrow. Maybe I can get two hours. <laughs> All their jaws dropped. And the moral of the story is they don't. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't. They had Excel. They did the right charts. They made a decision which was going to materially impact my life, but what they didn't do is they didn't challenge the assumption. So to kind of go back to your question, we're, we're trying to educate everyone, whether an entrepreneur or a business or life skills, what you see isn't always what is the answer. And you need to kind of question that. You need to use critical thinking. I guess the summary is be more critical of things and not just assume they're true. Yeah, I love this conversation for so many reasons because the human behavior side of it is so necessary to understand. Um, I talk to business owners about this all the time. In and I was actually just, <coughs> excuse me, I was just scrolling through TikTok this morning during my like fifteen minutes I give myself every morning, and that turns into sometimes forty five minutes or yeah. a couple yeah. hours. Um, I feel like that's the place that time goes to disappear. Um, and I ran across a video from um, Simon Sinek and he said, if you don't understand humans, you don't understand business. Yeah. And I thought that was such an amazing way to put it. Um, how do we as small business owners or entrepreneurs that are building um, professional based or service based industries, how do we start to consider this from the ground up instead of hitting a plateau and having to go back and go down a rabbit hole of gathering data? If you could give advice to somebody who is just starting that doesn't know what they don't know about the data they're going to need in the future, what would you tell them? Yeah, it's a perfect place to start because I feel like even established companies, what they'll do is they'll amass mountains, millions, trillions of points of data they may never use. And then they go to some poor analyst and say, I have this um, haystack over here. Can you find a needle? And it's like, so someone just starting out, you don't know what you don't know, which is fine because it's an iterative process. The best place to start is not with data. The best place to start is 
what are your goals? What's your strategy? You mentioned what success look like. And then from there, build very specific questions. Then you can say, okay, now I know my questions. I can take from those questions, what is the data I need? And let me go find that. And it doesn't mean that all of that data is going to exist. Some of it you might have to do through surveys and focus groups. Sometimes it might exist. Sometimes you might just have to move forward with you know, 90% of it. But if you start with what is your goal, what is your outcome, it's a lot easier to add the, all the action verbs. Those turn into the data columns that we want. But if you just start saying, okay, I, need, I think I need everything about customers. I need everything about the industry. I need everything about my location. And then you build this big spreadsheet or data warehouse you've already lost because you've invested so much time and you're going to use maybe 5% of that. I, I can see a couple of, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of different spectrums of this. The person that never thinks about data and they're probably the same people that don't use calendars um, and then wonder why their life is so hectic. And then you have the other side where it becomes so data driven that it's not human at all and it's not connected at all. So my first question is how do we focus on data while also avoiding being so laser focused that we forget we're dealing with people? Great question. So the the it's one of the problems I think we have in the industry is there's this term that's always used called data driven. To me, data driven is is your ladder example. It's the 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 big urban legend is someone's driving and they turn right and fall off a cliff and they ask why like because the GPS told me to. You're not using any human components. You're blindly trusting the data. Um, so that's not necessarily good. On the flip side, if you're like, I'm a data avoider, I don't want to use data. I'm just going to use my gut feeling. What they don't really understand goes back to what you said. Everyone should really understand what Simon Sinek said. Everyone should understand people. Your gut is actually your brain unconsciously or subconsciously going into your long-term memory, remembering previous experiences that are similar in telling you the answer. It's using data. You just don't realize it. The problem with that is that experience that was in your long-term memory could have been four, five, six years ago. The Everything could have changed. It could have been irrelevant. It could have been pre-COVID and now COVID changes things. So you always want to balance the two. So we like to say data informed. You want to look at the data, but you need to apply the human context. That's why AI is never going to take over the world because it doesn't have context or empathy or emotional intelligence like we have. We need to partner them together. So would you say then that data for people who are extremely literal and think that data means numbers, that data and information in your world are interchangeable words? Yeah. So I think of, think of um, I put it into five different buckets, the five different categories of, let's just say, I hate saying things, but things that are in our brain, the lowest level is, is data. That's anything. It's a number. It's it's 12. It's 52 or 12 because of Tom Brady. I'm 52 because of someone else on the Patriots. But so information <laughs> above that is when you start adding context. And a lot of times that's done by aggregation. So think about someone who's, who's an entrepreneur in sales. You make one sale and it's, you know, $20,000. But in and of itself, that doesn't tell you anything. Maybe you want to know the average sales for the month or average sales for the week or average sales for this product. That's information. You've aggregated it. Then you move up into knowledge. Knowledge is where you add like your business acumen and your, your schooling. And it's like, okay, what does that number mean to me? What does it mean against my question? Is it trending up? 
Is it trending down? Is there a big gap? Is it going well? That in of itself is useful, but knowledge is like your bar. It tells you what it is, but it doesn't tell you how to apply it. And I think that's where we fail in society is we educate people to get to knowledge. And they walk around, they understand the concepts, but they can't apply them. They can't understand them in real life situations. So then you go to understanding, which is the fourth level up where I can actually apply it to situations. I can use it. It's useful for me. That number is telling me that, okay, we are dropping our sales this year by 10%, but it's because a new competitor came into the market. And here's what we're going to do about it. And then finally, you have wisdom, which is you've done all of that. You've made an action. You've evaluated it. You've learned from it. And then what you've learned goes back into your brain as, as wisdom. So data is, is anything. And eventually, you want to learn all of the context from it related to what you want to question. And you get to wisdom, um, which is just like the Zen state of I know how the world works. I know why all this is happening. I know my business. I know why my KPIs are the way they are. And more importantly, I know how to improve them. That's so interesting. So now I'm understanding your book, Turning Data into Wisdom. Yeah. When I first saw the title, I thought that's really cool. You're taking data, you're taking pieces of information. And I think the reason that <laughs> for me, this data word makes so much sense is because I also have a background in computer programming. So I get mm -hmm. it. At the same time, um, data slash information, whatever word you want to use, taking that and turning it into knowledge or wisdom made sense to me. The way that you just described it, though, it's this incredible stair step to the steps in between raw data and wisdom, which is really cool. And it gets exponentially more valuable. So like, I don't, if I have, I don't know what the unit of measurement, let's just say pounds, even though it's not, I had like 10 million pounds of data. It's useless because I don't have the context of the question. I want to have like an ounce of wisdom. And so it, it's this stepping stool, but it, it kind of filters itself out because no one ever has infinite wisdom as, as far as I know. But the, the point is you, the more data you have in the bottom, the more overwhelmed you get, which is why going back to the beginning, focus on the question, focus on the goal and you'll have, a staircase that's more straight than this, which is just the brain's going to freak out, tire out, and it won't go well. So focus on the outcome, go from data, learn from it, apply it, and then get to wisdom. So let's take this, because right now I feel like we're still in this ethereal idea of what we're talking about. So let's take it specific for just a minute. Let's say that you have a business. Let's go, you have a coffee shop. You're a mom and pop coffee shop in your hometown. And you say, okay, I know my goal. My goal is I want to make $500,000 in 2024. Um, so when you say there's the goal, now work your way back with data. What specifically do you mean by that? Yep. So that would be your, what we call lagging indicator. That's the outcome. Outcomes are useful. They're really easy to put on a dashboard for people. But the problem with outcomes is you, once you identify if you hit it or not, it's too late. So if I go to the people who paid me money, like the investors, the end of the quarter, and they say, okay, you were going to hit half a million dollars. And Kevin, you hit $300,000. They're not going to be happy. They're going to be like, well, why? Right. And, and so what we want to do working backwards is, okay, 
what influences that 500K. And this is where the process goes less science and more of like the active listening, critical thinking. So you would kind of go backwards and say, okay, well, I need customers, right? I need good quality coffee. I need the process to be consistent. So I can put data points on the consistency. I can put data points on the supply chain in terms of are we getting the right beans? Are we using the right equipment? Are we using the right temperature of water? Because I know one of the things about Duncan is the temperature is so high. That's what makes it so awesome as opposed to when I'm at home in my K-cup, it's not that hot. So all of these points working backwards, I can start putting data next to, and then I can track that. And then I can say, okay, I'm looking in a third of the way through the quarter, we're missing the metric of consistency. That's like an early warning radar. Okay, most likely then customers aren't gonna be happy because you hate when you go there and you get the bottom of the barrel and it's like mm-hmm. bitter coffee. You're like, you know what, I'm, I'm not gonna go back anymore. Eventually you go back, but the, the problem is you know that and now you have an early warning that I need to fix something so you don't go to your investors and say, hey, I, I missed by $200,000. So wa- walking the way back, we're actually building, I call it a dashboard or a measurement framework or something that is just, what do I need to, tra- what do I need to track in my business that's going to get me to $500,000? I'm oversimplifying. That is not an easy process. That might take you right. weeks to do. It might be iterative. But once you do that, those are the things you then want to track with data. So if one so of the questions awesome. going back again, it, let's not use numbers because one of the things we want to track is, is customer loyalty or customer satisfaction. Then we do a survey of our customers, a random survey. How did you like this quality? Is it consistent? Is it that? And then that turns into your data. What I really like about this is there are no less, and I may be exaggerating and I'm probably not, no less than like 9 million different goal setting formulas out in the world right now. Um, I have my own goal setting type mastermind and things to that effect. Um, I've never heard anybody describe it like this. I've never heard anybody talk about it as, I think what makes it so, so helpful is when you hear data or you hear information, your mind immediately goes specific and small and piece by piece, word by word, letter by letter, concept by concept. When somebody says, okay, what's your goal? And you say, I want to increase my business by 10 customers every month for the rest of the year for 2024. Um, That's great. That's so high level though. And they're saying, okay, how are you going to do that? And they're like, well, I'm going to go network, you know, five times a week. I'm going to make this many sales calls. And that's still high level. Who are you going to make them with? Where are you going to go network? How is this? Like, I think that this is such a novel way to describe this that gets people thinking about the actual minute steps that they need to take. Because I've always said that one of the biggest problems is people don't get deep enough into their business in order to be successful. But we feel like we are until you start saying, well, what's your data points? And you're like, I mean, I don't even know what data points are, let alone to tell you the numbers. So I think it's really cool. And I, I've, my mind's kind of blown right now because I've been 
I've been training human behavior for the last three years. I've been studying it for the last eight years. Um, I've been an attorney for 12 years. So that is just a plethora of human behavior conversations. And I have never heard anybody relate it to what I know about computers and numbers and processing and information. And I'm really kind of digging it. It's kind of cool. The Boston way. It's the Boston way. I mean, Red Sox fans are smart. <laughs> I, I think that's why it's unique. Background and to your point, that's exactly the problem. Is people don't go. If I was that I was an investor, and I asked, you know, what? How are you tracking consistency? What's your consistency of quality output? And they were like, Oh, I don't know. I'm like, not the right person. Not a yeah. doesn't have a handle on the business. Not deep enough. To your point. Well, and what's interesting to me is my brain keeps going from one spectrum to the other, from this is really cool to, oh my gosh, the rabbit hole. The first thing that I tell people when I work with them in human behavior is that if you're going to be successful, you have to learn to listen to the voice in your head that you've been told doesn't exist. So when we have been told our entire life to silence that voice, to stop listening to it, to not let it hold you back, the reality is we have to acknowledge it's there and learn how to communicate with it. And when we break it down and say, what's the data that I need to know to be able to hit our goal? When we combine the idea of being willing to listen to that voice in your head with the idea of being willing to ask the right questions, you hit that sweet spot. So I, I said, I keep bouncing from one side to the other because the logical part of me says, oh my gosh, I could go down this rabbit hole forever. And then that voice in my head says, that's stupid. This is all you need. Just listen to me. Um, and I think that there's like, I, I really think it's cool what you've built. Um, so your book, um, Turning Data into Wisdom, where is that found at? And who do you think it is a perfect resource for? First one's easy. Second one's a little bit harder, but I'll try to explain. So on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere, just go to turningdataintowisdom.com. I have articles and videos and stuff. Who it's for? I, it's hard because I, so I, I have an MBA and, and just like you, they don't, I've learned frameworks and tools and all these things. And I don't feel they teach the right things. Like to your point of I'm, I'm getting pulled in two different directions. I've, Part of it is I want to listen to other people. I've never taken a course on listening. I've taken courses on reading and writing. I want to teach people that they have to question and they have to challenge. But after like fifth grade, the teachers get annoyed when you question. Before that, it's cute. Then it's annoying. Then you go to your job and your boss is like, I've been doing this 70 years. And you come right out of college, you think you're no better, even though you're so we kind of lose those. So I, I think it's for anyone that doesn't have like the, what I call the soft skills for business. And it's not their fault they don't have them. And so we don't teach them. It's we're, we're born with them. Kids ask why all the time. They're just kind of suppressed out of us. But that might be buried in the book because it might not be explained so well in the beginning. It, it's a framework that teaches us to use these skills to answer the question of what's the right data for me. Do you feel like your book is a good place to start for somebody who's still trying to figure it out? Or do you feel like the understanding of listening to that voice in your head needs to come first? Is this the like, 
human behavior 201 or the human behavior 101 if we're talking in college terms? Yeah, I mean, that's where I might have failed is I did 101, 201, 301 together in the same book. Got so you. Okay. I would say taking a step back because I've learned from that is if you just go to the website of the same name of the book for free, you can get little video five minute tutorials on the 101. And then if you're like, okay, this is cool. I could learn more. Then go look at the book. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to stick with my other methods, my OKR logic models, my whatever million other things I want to do, then, you know, okay, I'll pass on the book. But that gives you kind of the 101 view for it, at least. Cool. So let's talk about oh, the inevitable person out there that may look like me if I was to look in the mirror that in the past loves numbers so much that when given the opportunity to gather them, they will spend so much time gathering numbers that they don't take action. How do we find that balance between information gathering, the willingness to act while imperfect, continue to gather information and get better? Where's that sweet spot to you? I don't want to oversimplify and say it's that voice in your head, but it's the yeah. voice in your head. I mean, everyone has to have a different risk profile. So you need to know the business. Like if if my job is building coffee, right? The worst case is I, I lose money. But if my job is putting a space shuttle and humans into space, my risk profile is much higher. So my need for data is going to be like 99%. Uh, Steve Be uh, Jeff Bezos actually said 2016 at Amazon, he had like the report and he said something like to the shareholders, I promise you we're going to make decisions. We're not going to have all the data ever. My test is about 60 to 70%. When I do, when I feel like I have that roughly, we're going to innovate and make a decision, but then we're going to quickly assess and learn from it. So I think your voice in your head needs to tell you what your kind of risk profile is. Cause you're right. There are people who are going to say it's hundred percent. You will never have hundred percent certainty. I mean, there's yeah. risk and uncertainty in everything. Um, just look at COVID everything we knew just completely switched. So I would say the good news is it's not a door that you can't, turn back on and change, iterate a couple of times, fill out what your risk profile is. Uh, I know they always say, you know, failure is good because you learn from it. I, I kind of think failure is like an absolute. So I like to say fall. I, I fall hundreds of times, but I get back up, but I don't mm -hmm. fail. Because yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up because one of my least favorite phrases on the planet is fall in love with failure. Yeah. And I, the reason that I hate that phrase is because what happens is it encourages people to try things and then they're not successful. And then they think, well, I'm supposed to not be successful because I'm supposed to fall in love with failure, right? And so I have, every time somebody's ever said that phrase to me, I've shifted that to, you shouldn't fall in love with failing, you should fall in love with learning from failing. And I think what your whole concept does is puts a tangible answer to what that learning from failing looks like and feels like and sounds like. How do we specifically do that? Um, what lessons do we get to take from each thing and brings that down into absolute informational data points, which I think is really cool. Absolutely. And that's what wisdom is, right? That's the lessons learned that you take back to give you that zen moment of, I know about my business. I know what we need to do and let's go do it. You know, one of the things I implemented maybe 
I guess it would have been three years ago, right before COVID. Um, I feel like time kind of stopped after 2020. And so every time I'm thinking about how long something's been, I got to think, was it like pre-COVID or after? Because time just doesn't make sense anymore. Um, I read Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Have you read that book? It's on my list, but no, I, I know about it's it. so good. He talks about the value of after action reports and how he did those in the military for every mission that they went on and how as business owners or human beings, if we have a goal that we want to get to, that every time we try something, it's important for us to do the after action report. And I implemented it a long time ago and I'm like, oh, this is incredibly helpful. And it is. What I'm realizing, I think, from our conversation is that I, like so many other people, have fallen in the category of that person that collects data and never actually does anything with it. And that's where I think when I said you create this deeper level of understanding, I think that's what I was was trying to bring that back to is there's a lot of places out there and opportunities out there and and programs out there that teach you how to identify and collect the data. But what do you what do you do with that after action report after you've actually created it? So you know where you failed, you know what went right, you know what went wrong. That's the beginning of the conversation, not the end of it. And exactly. that's the part that's missing. Exactly. It's that knowledge management of, of why it happened. And I, I think to that point, like with the after action reports, one of the things that I think a lot of people focus on which is incorrect is, like you said, they list all the data, they have the data. The data might not be the issue. The issue might be the process you used. Did I have wrong question? What was I missing? What were my assumptions? Like use the example of my school. They can say in the action, we had all the data, right? Everything was there. What was wrong was the process. They didn't challenge it. So in the step from understanding to wisdom, we talk about very similar after action reviews, but we say, don't focus on the outcome, focus on the process because you could have a good outcome by happenstance or at the flip side, you get a horrible outcome, but you still have a solid process. Um, so sometimes in learning, they call it double loop learning. Don't answer the question, challenge the question. Yes. If you're not challenging the data in the process, the data is going to be meaningless. Yeah. I think that's really important for people to understand. So, I want to do two different ends of the spectrum on this next question. Number one, um, if people are saying this is great and I feel entirely overwhelmed by all of the information that I could possibly collect, I would love to know one baby step that I could take to get started. What would the first action step be for somebody? I would say stop collecting data and ask yourself, what is my goal? What is my question? What is my decision that I have to make? What is my decision I have to make? And then would the next question be, what information do I need to know in order to make that decision? Or is there something that's missing in well, between? Well, underneath there, there it's, it's what's the decision I have to make, but then you have to frame the decision, the boundary conditions. I'm, I'm staying in this scope. I'm not going outside here. It's a lot easier to answer the what does good look like before you actually get the data. So for my decision, I want to say, here's my criteria for success because we're all emotional. So if my, let's just throw something out random. Let's just say my criteria is I want to be at 70% of target of something. 
if I don't say that up front and then I get to like the end, I'm like 65, I'm like, you know what? That was my target all along. And, and the brain just does that. So the decision, the context, the framing, the processes that are involved, and then it goes to, okay, based off of that, let's systematically say, what are the connection points? But the, the whole key with that, and I'm oversimplifying is it has to be done systemically. Like you mentioned earlier, and what I mean by systemically is everything's interconnected. So you had said something earlier, unrelated, but it was like, well, you know, I might have to do more sales calls. So how, from a data point of view, what, what am I tracking? Am I tracking the number of sales calls? Am I tracking mm -hmm. the quality of the sales calls? Am I tracking the result? Is it the number of leads I'm getting? Because if, you know, it's the old story, if, if you give a, a carpenter a, a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you just tell people to do more sales calls and then you compensate them for it, they're going to do not good sales calls. So it's about thinking about all of that data systemically. And then ultimately, yes, I have my measurements, I have my metrics. Let's go gather that specific sets of data. And then the other side of that spectrum is for the person that says, okay, cool. I realize now that I've been doing all the things I thought I was supposed to do. I've been collecting all of the data and now I'm ready to actually take that to a point where I'm gaining wisdom from everything that I've connected. Does your, is your book, does that go deep enough into that wisdom connection that that would be a complete resource for somebody? Or is there something else you would think they would need to pair that with? No, it does. I mean, it uses lots of different frameworks. So we don't go deep. Like I don't go deep into a SWOT analysis. I don't necessarily go right. deep into different decision matrices. I just highlight they're here and then point you to resources there. And, and I guess the other thing is it's not meant to be a, a, a universal Bible that everyone, it's meant to be a framework that everyone makes their own. Yeah. Um, like if, let's say, I forget if it's 32 or 33, it has 33 steps. If, if my decision is what, what am I going to have for dinner? I'm not using 33 steps because then it's breakfast by the time I decide it's <laughs> So you, you kind of see it as a framework that, yes, will give you all the tools, but you need to personalize it. And unfortunately, that is an iterative process, meaning you are going to get it potentially wrong the first time or not wrong. You're going to get it less than ideal and you'll learn from it. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that because I know that you were joking when you said it'll be breakfast before you decide. However, the reality is that's how I used to meal plan because I would spend, and I remember telling my personal trainer this, I said, I feel like I spend four days meal planning so that I can go grocery shopping on Sunday for a week. And when I feel like my meal plan has derailed, the reason for that is because I have spent so much time making a decision on what I'm going to make that I ran out of time to actually do anything. Um, so I'm so glad that you said that as far as being willing to step back and say, how many of these steps do I need? Um, I'm really excited for people to dig into this. And I'm curious, because it is so novel, when did you start realizing, I know that you mentioned it was your um, child's school. When did you start realizing that this was necessary and needed for business owners? Was it then or was it later? Well, that was the first thing. And then right after that, like I tell my kids three things, they need to study abroad to learn about culture. They need to learn Photoshop because I think creativity is the way to get things. And they need to learn psychology, like Simon Sinek said. So that was the opening. But then I started applying it in my day job. 
I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm crushing it. I'm doing so much better than I was before. And it's because I had the math mind. Everything is black and white. And what I was missing was that whole soft side of bias and assumptions. Mm -hmm. But then I was able to come back and marry with data. And what I liked about it is, like you said, it's unique. A lot of people are one or the other. In this model, you have to use both, whether you like it or not. Yeah. You know, what I love about this so much is... When, when people come through my, my trainings, I always tell them that by the end of the training, people become computer code. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. We don't actually take away the human behavior. We make it more connected than it was before because you see people and the way they think and the way that they communicate in a way that you never knew to look for before. And so as much as this data-informed process that you've created helps somebody in their business. When we understand the flip side of this, when we understand sticking with the coffee shop analysis, that the person who's going to buy our coffee has a goal of getting this and what information do they need in order to know that we're the right coffee shop for them to buy from. That to me is where the the sweet spot of magic happens is what information do I need to make a decision and how do I get it? What information do my clients need in order to make a decision and how do I give it to them? Exactly. We always forget the stakeholders and the clients. And I, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. That's so cool. Um, any last pieces of wisdom for anybody who's listening and may be thinking, okay, I'm really excited and also a little terrified about this process. Yeah, which is probably everyone, right? Like I, I don't anticipate anyone to hear this and then be like, okay, I've solved world peace. Like I, I can now go. <laughs> it. it is the start of a journey and people need to have a growth mindset. People need to be willing to think things through. And obviously in, in an hour, it's hard to give a lot of wisdom that, that's actionable that people, so they, they need to go learn more. I would just say, if you're curious, you want to learn more, um, go to the website and, and there's links to other places where there's short five, six, seven minute videos, there's blogs, and it'll start giving you more of the tools that you can apply. Um, and if you're of the belief that no, you don't need those soft skills, there's also quizzes and challenges you can do there that prove you're wrong and you do need them. Yeah. And, you know, I don't draw hard lines in the sand very often, but if you fall in that second category of thinking you don't need soft skills, um, you're definitely wrong. And, yes. you know, I'm a big believer that everybody has their perception of the world and that we can all be right about things at the same time. However, if you think you don't need to understand humans, you are absolutely incorrect. So I um, love where you're going with this. The website, again, for those who are listening is what? Yep, it's just the name of the book, turningdataintowisdom.com. Perfect. As we start to wrap up, I'd love to do a quick random round, let everybody get to know you a little bit, lighten it up a little bit. Is that okay? Absolutely. Perfect. If you could do any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Other than coffee or Boston sports, I would be a D Disney Imagineer. Ooh, that would be fun. That would be fun. So playing Boston sports, commenting Boston sports. No, playing, which I obviously am. 
skilled to do. So throw that out. So I okay. guess it goes to Imagineer by default. No, 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 no. I was just curious. Um, yeah. I didn't know if you had had that um, commentary. Like some people want to be on the no, skybox. Some people no, no, want to be no, on no. the field. It's, be playing. I, it's hard to, it's better to play than watch. Yeah, it is so true. And I'm not surprised with as much as you love data that you love baseball. First of all, I don't know if it's possible to live in Boston and not love baseball. At the same time, baseball is definitely a data-driven sport. And Absolutely. I had no idea how informative it was until I really started watching it. Yeah. Um, perfect. If you could time travel, where would you go and why? That's a trick question because I think I'd go right here. I Every, love that. I mean, we're the fourth, fifth industrial revolution. I mean, think of everything that's happened in my life. My kids don't even know what a rotary phone is. Like, why would I want to go necessarily back there? Um, yeah. I mean, it's I guess crazy. I can go, but I, I'm happy where we are. Yeah, it's crazy to think about the amount of technological innovations that we have had in our lifetime. And when we think back as... 70s and 80s babies, when we think back to what the world looked like back then and ask the 2000 babies to imagine what it was like in the 70s yeah. when we didn't have internet. Unimaginable. Like, no like, it's insane. Or, uh, and it was only 30 years ago, Yeah, which, which is so crazy because if you ask somebody, if you were in the 70s and you asked somebody who was born in the 40s, what life was like, it didn't change that much. No. It just all of a sudden skyrocketed in the 80s and 90s. Exactly. It's Which crazy. is why I wouldn't want to, once you've been here, I don't want to go back, right? Because that's I know, right? Like. It's so true. Um, other than your book from turning data into wisdom, what is one resource that you think every business owner or entrepreneur should consume? Oh, it's easy. Um, I like Simon Sinek, Power Why, but uh, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. Ooh, I have not looked into that one yet. I definitely need to. Thank you for adding that to my list. Absolutely. It talks about some of the brain stuff we talked about. Now, we've re mentioned the website a couple of times. If people wanted to continue this conversation, is that the best way for them to get your contact information and learn how to follow you and reach out to you? Yep. There's a link to my LinkedIn. There's a contact us page and all that stuff's there. So that's the best place. Perfect. And then my very last question, which is always selfish to me because I am a music nerd and I need all the inspiration I can get. What is your pump up song? What is it that you turn on when you need all that motivation? I'd like to say classic rock. I'd like to say Aerosmith being from Boston, but I will be honest when I really needed a pump up when I was in college, it would be Shadows of the Night by Pat Benatar. I love it. I love some Pat Benatar. She is my um, karaoke go-to. So. Nice. Um, which I do never, I never do her justice. So hopefully she never hears that. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, it was amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to digging into your book and continuing to build the relationship and see where the data information goes from there. So thank you for coming on and sharing some of this wisdom with our audience. I think that what you have is unique and incredible. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course.